Well, good morning, church family. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kevin, and I am one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, but today we're going to continue to walk through this powerhouse of a letter uh, from uh, the Apostle John. And we're now entering chapter four. And so by God's providence, uh, my last sermon a few weeks ago was at the very end of chapter two. And in these two sermons, I have landed on two of the only three times in the Bible with the word antichrist. I'm not sure what the Lord is wanting me to see, but we will press on. So in all seriousness, uh, I, I believe the Lord wants us to glean something important together from his word today. Uh, so let's begin by reading. So if you're in the room with us or if you're at home, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Would you read with me? <clears throat> Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who, who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. You can grab a seat. So as you may notice, John is circling back to the same topics with regularity, uh, like a good repetitive song. Uh, Ian Blakelock describes 1 John like this. He says, the movement of John's theme is like a winding staircase, always revolving around the center, always recurring to the same topics, but at a higher level. So today, John's gonna take us back to these same common themes, genuine faith, genuine love, and as we walk through these, we're going to answer this question. How can we know our faith is real? And we're going to look at three tests of that faith. The test of genuine truth. The test of a genuine life. And the test of a genuine love. And then we'll look together at the end at the miraculous result. So let's, let's pray together as we get started. Father, we come to you today. And we praise you that you are the one who set us free, that you are the one who, by your mercy, by your son, you purchased men for God, those who did not love you, but you loved them. 
And so, Father, we are amongst those, God, men and women who have been recipients of your grace. Would you help us now by your spirit to hear your word? And would we hear and would we believe all that is true about who you are? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think the first time that I learned that you can switch faces with someone was from Nick Cage. Anybody else? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I had you know, seen that sort of thing before um, from the classic TV masterpiece, Quantum Leap. Uh, but it was the 97 John Woo blockbuster face-off that really showed us what was possible. Uh, as John Travolta surgically switched faces with a wanted killer, Nicolas Cage. And, you know, I've since learned that this is not medically possible. Um, but through the movie, you're having to remember, wait, who's the good guy? Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's the one with the bad guy's face. Um, and then a few years later, of course, Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible crew kind of, they perfect this art. You don't need surgery anymore. You just need a 3D printer um, and some good tech, right? So uh, the, the voice modulator, Tom Cruise can suddenly become John Voight, never mind the massive height difference. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's confusing, right? Uh, eventually in these movies, the bad guys also get the technology, right? So it's basically a free-for-all. Uh, is this the good guy disguised as the bad guy, or is this the bad guy with Tom Cruise voice and face? Um, and, and sometimes we just have no idea. Maybe sometimes they're just themselves um, until eventually the cover gets blown, right? The voice modulator breaks and the, their voice goes back to their normal voice, or the mask is literally ripped off and the deception is exposed. Deep down, we all want to experience something genuine. We want to be real. We live in a world that is desperate for truth, desperate, desperate even now to uncover government secrets, folks who follow anonymous internet sources. Why? Just to find something real. As Christians, we want to know that our faith is real. We want to know that what we stand on is secure, that we aren't being hoodwinked or sold a bill of goods, that we aren't following something that's beautiful on the outside but hollow in the middle. Our brother John wants this for us. He wants us to know that we are born again. He wants us to know that we can really overcome that which is false or misleading. And he wants us to know that our love is real, that what we know about God from the scriptures is no fairy tale, that the love of Jesus is as incomprehensible as it truly seems. And so what we're gonna look at today is how can we know how can we expose that which is counterfeit? How can we believe that our message and that our love is indeed the real thing? So first, it's the test of genuine truth. In starting in verse one, dear friends, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, so, so what's going on here? Uh, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Why is he using this word spirit? Uh, well, every message, every, everything we hear, every narrative is a spiritual one. We're dealing in spiritual reality, spiritual forces. Spirit is a way of saying the heart of the message, the spirit, the, what's behind the message. And just like we saw in Corinthians, there was a prevalence of prophecy in the early church, uh, which is interesting to consider why. Remember uh, that, that they didn't have the completed canon of the scriptures yet. So there's a heavy dependence 
on prophecy, on the spoken word. There's a heavy reliance on the apostolic teachings and the circulation of letters such as these. Uh, And this prophecy wasn't a future-telling prophecy. It was men speaking truth about God. But just like any of God's gifts to the church, there were counterfeits, people claiming to speak for God, using their platforms to say false things about him. Particularly, John is dealing in this letter with some pagan voices uh, in the church who were seeking to reshape Christianity. Thankfully, as we saw back in chapter two, the church was identifying these, uh, these forces and forcing these, these false prophets out of the church. But of course, this is not a new problem for God's people, right? This was Satan's ploy from the beginning. In the garden, what was his initial approach, approach to the first man and the first woman? It wasn't, God's a jerk, I'm better than him, follow me. No, it was to question the truth of God. Did he really say Are you sure you got that right? And even then, even if God God did say that, is it really true? Maybe he's holding out on you. And this pattern persists throughout all the scriptures. God's word being twisted to the point that Jesus himself in the gospel of John looks to the Pharisees who are burdening men and women with legalism. And he says to them, you don't listen to me because you are not born of God. You were born of your father, the devil, because he is the liar and the father of lies. Why didn't they listen to Jesus? Why didn't they believe him? Because they weren't of the father. Both the Old and the New Testaments are filled with warnings about those who would teach wrong things about God and lure people away. In Ephesians 4, we're warned, don't be carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by deceitful schemes. There's strong warnings to those who would teach, uh, that, 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 that those who would teach and lead others astray. Judgment will come on anyone who leads God's children astray. And then Paul says to the Corinthian church in, in 2 Corinthians 11, for if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach or a different gospel, here's what he says to them. He says, you put up with it splendidly. Uh, I don't think he's uh, complimenting them. And so here uh, to the church that John loves, John shares the same concern, that his readers might uncritically believe anything. And no doubt this still happens today, that there there are spiritual influences that find their way amongst the church of God. And as Christians, we can can be gullible, right? We can be naive, sometimes even out of a desire to be charitable. Uh, we, We suddenly ingest something that isn't from God. So how do we distinguish what is true from the lie. Lies don't just walk around uh, with a sign letting us all know I'm a lie. In the famous words of Andy Gullihorn, you can look him up later, uh, if I were the devil, I wouldn't wear red. I wouldn't have horns or a pitchfork. I wouldn't breathe fire because it might give me away. It's a song. Um, in, 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 Paul, or in Paul's words, he says basically, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So the first and obvious answer is we must hold everything up to the light of scripture. But even I think that can sometimes be too simplistic an answer. Calvin talks about a twofold practice of the trial of doctrine, the private and the public trial. Private is that which happens in our hearts alone as we look to God's word. 
But the public trial is, he calls it the common consent and polity of the church. It's the body of Christ, God's people. The shepherds also of God's body coming together, seeking truth, that the truth of doctrine doctrine might be made sure. That it's a community project that we come together with God's word. So do we test everything then? Are we, do we become the eternal skeptics? Should we start each our own blog and YouTube channel to deconstruct every sermon, every pastor? After all, we do live in the day of the deputized discernment police, self-deputized. What are we looking for? So what should we be looking for? Look at verse two. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay, now, so now we're getting some traction. So he's saying, let's not talk about the fake for a second. Let's talk about the real deal. This is a loaded sentence from John. He's saying, this is how you know the spirit of God. He's saying every spirit. So this again, this is just a colloquial way to say every teaching, every message, Every spirit that confesses. This is a word of belief, of profession. These are teachers whose hearts have been rended by the truth that they teach. This isn't just acknowledgement. Even the demons acknowledge. This is one who confesses Christ, is submitted to him, surrendered to him. But what is that confession? He goes on. Everyone who conf- every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ This is Jesus, no mere good teacher. He is the Christ, God's Messiah, the promised one to rescue his people. And that Christ has come. He was not merely born. He came, sent from heaven, where he was eternally existing with the Father. And then it says, John says, he came in the flesh, So he wasn't merely born, but he was born. He's no mirage, no hologram, no mascot. He's a real man so that he might be our brother, a man with blood vessels and skin, real skin, so that it could be torn to smithereens, real blood vessels to be burst and to spill real blood, blood that would save his people from their sins, which he'll hit at in verse nine. This is what is real, what is genuine. Anything else is counterfeit. And look at verse three then. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus, does not confess all these things, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. John is, John's being really clear here. These points of departure about Jesus These aren't just agree to disagree, we're still brothers sort of disagreements. This isn't healthy skepticism, healthy deconstruction. He's saying there's a spirit of the age, a teaching that opposes Jesus, an anti-Christ spirit, and they may be convincing. But any teaching which leads you away from the historical Jesus, the eternal son of God, who by him all things were created, as we read this morning, who received nutrients from an umbilical cord. He was born like you and like me. Any teaching that rejects these things must be tested and rejected. 
that is another Christ, another Jesus that is being taught. And if we get these right, so much false teaching is eliminated. Blakelock said, almost every deviant form of Christian faith is in some way, in some way diminishes or distorts the person of Christ. Is he truly God? Is he truly the Messiah? Truly the word made flesh? Any departure from these points? These are against Christ. This is where we get Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, the oneness movement. So how do, how do we test? How do we discern what is from the truth? We begin with Jesus. And just as in chapter two, if we get Jesus wrong, we, we, we don't just lose Jesus, we lose the Father. We've lost God. And so next is the test of a genuine life. I love how John pivots here in verse four. It's not just about those false prophets, he's gonna say. It's, it's about you. Look at verse four. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I, I love this picture of the apostle John. In his old age, he's like a satisfied father. He says, little children, these false prophets, these false teachers, this is not you. You are from God. You are brothers and sisters of the Messiah King, Jesus. You aren't subject to false teachers. You won't be convinced by falsehood. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because there is one that is in you and he is greater than the one that is in the world. Jesus is with you. His spirit is within you. And, and his spirit is greater than the spirit of the power of the air, which is speaking through these false teachers, false prophets. If I knew I had to resist the devil, and then I thought for one second that it was a battle between me and him, I would despair. I would live in utter fear. But John is saying, this is not your battle. And because of that, you have already won. God cannot be conquered. You've got the cheat code. You're Mario, and you've got the star for the whole level, for the whole game. You are in Christ. You have been immersed into Jesus. So now every benefit that Jesus gets, you get. Every blessing that is his belongs to you. Why? Not because you discovered the inner champion in you. Not because you realized your true, inner, wonderful self. No, because he disarmed every ruler, every authority, and he disgraced them publicly. He triumphed them over them in Jesus, and he is in you. John's saying, false prophets, they are from the world, but you, you are from God. So yes, examine the spirits, test the spirits. Falsehood is, is out there. It's, it's real, but the spirit is in you. He will guide you. Utilize the means of grace he has appointed for you. His word. Bring your questions back to the community of faith that he has given. And then when you do, you will overcome. There is no question in John's mind. You've got this. You'll be all right. John sounds a little bit like a parent seasoned mom and dads out there. You remember when you watched 
uh, your child encounter the behavior of a sketchy friend for the first time. And you had that little moment where you go, okay, which way is my kid gonna go here? Um, we've talked about this a hundred times, but here it is in front of them. And you stand back and you watch and they make the right choice. They stand firm. They oppose the lie. They don't go along with the sinful scheme of their friend. So how do you respond when you talk to them? I'm proud of you. Every child's not gonna make the right choices, but you remembered what we talked about. You overcame them. My teaching remained in you. You're gonna be all right. You might not be a delinquent after all. Now there's times where, where this message will be uh, that you'll get to share this message with your children. But there'll be other times where you're not quite like the Apostle John, where you get to be more like Paul in Galatians 3, uh, saying, who has bewitched you? Uh, but, but praise God for the good moments, right? Um, so look at verse five. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. He's saying, don't be surprised when the world listens to them. Falsehood has the propensity to be received by many. Falsehood is the wide path, but the way of Christ is the narrow way. Few find it. And there is nothing new under the sun. The world is always buying the same falsehoods. So don't be discouraged. Verse six, he says, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Listen carefully to what John's saying here. He says, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. So what if I said that this morning? What if I quoted John and applied it to me? I'm from God. I'm wearing the mic. And so I'm the one on stage. And so you've got to listen to me. Therefore, I'm from God. Anyone who doesn't listen to me, not from God. That would be pretty arrogant, right? Like the very sort of thing a false prophet might say. Dare I say, if you encounter someone who would teach that way, uh, you should run. This is not John being arrogant. Remember who John is. John was not a self-made authority. He was given authority by Jesus. He was an apostle. And not just John, he says, we, each of the apostles walked with Jesus. John looked eye to eye with Jesus as he calmed storms, as he fed thousands, as he taught the multitudes and cast out demons. Jesus washed John's feet the night before his death. In the haze and, and the tears of heart sickness, John walked into a tomb that should have had a body in it. And he found nothing but grave clothes. And later that day, that evening, the risen Jesus with nail scars in his hand, he breathed on John. And John was sent out in power. So as an apostle, as a preacher of the gospel, he contended for the faith. He suffered and bled for the name and the witness of Jesus. And John is saying, if people don't listen to us, if they refuse our message about Jesus Christ, if they preach some other Jesus, they aren't from God. You know why? I'm one of the last ones alive who saw all this. 
And they aren't from God. God sent me to tell you. And I'm writing it down, just like the other apostolic writers and witnesses. And if people refute what an apostle is telling them about Jesus, they are the very spirit of deception. So you know the test of a genuine life of faith? Does the life conform to God's word? Is it corrected by God's word? Is their life submitted to the apostolic teaching, the teaching of John and of Paul and of Peter? Is that life committed to a community of believers, submitted to God's word, submitted to a church, submitted to the testimony of Jesus, or do they operate outside of these graces of the Lord? Are they out on their own, committed and submitted to no one? Just a webcam, lots of books, a few YouTube subscribers, How about you? How about me? Are we regularly, by receiving receiving the means of God's grace that he's given us to be with God's people? Do we bring our study of God's word that he's he's actually given us his word that we can have at home? Are we reading it by his spirit, asking him to help us understand it by the spirit in us and then bringing it back to the flesh and blood people of God so that we might have our understanding of God's word shaped by the Holy Spirit and dwelt men and women, the the flesh and blood people of God that he has given us. Do we submit to our brothers and sisters who speak God's truth to us, to godly leaders who will give an account as they keep watch over our souls? John was no lone ranger. He was no lone ranger authority. His authority was from God. Okay, verse seven. Now John changes the focus here. You wanna know authentic faith? Does it pass the test of genuine love? Verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. So this may seem like a quick turn, but these things are so intrinsically linked in John's teaching. Right doctrine and right love for others. So he says, dear friends. And so just, I just want you to hear every time it says that, depending upon your translation of, of the scriptures that you're looking at, it says, dear friends in the CSB. And this just means loved ones, beloved ones. So this is more, I, I, I think friends is like not quite enough. Beloved ones of God. So every time you see, if you see friends, think beloved. If your translation says beloved, go with that. Um, He's telling them he loves them. He's saying it over and over again. He's saying, beloved, 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 I love you. So dear beloved friends, he says, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Okay, so the one who knows God is the one who rightly confesses Jesus. This is what we just talked about. But now he's saying the one who doesn't love does not know God. So this means you can speak rightly about God and still not know him. We've all probably heard 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Why? Because gospel... Doctrine without gospel culture is no gospel. Getting the doctrine of God's love right, yet not loving those that God loves, 
is not genuine. The ancient writer Jerome would talk about how John as an old man would be carried into the church at Ephesus and and he would just sit there with very little strength left in his old age and simply say, little children, love one another. And his disciples would just grow weary of this. Master, why do you always say this? And John's answer was, because it's the Lord's command. And if that alone is done, it suffices. So we, we must believe rightly, but we also must love rightly. This, this command, believe and love, John said it in chapter three, this is his command, that we believe in the name of his, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Verse eight, the one who does not love God does not know God. So this is the inverse. We must love each other. And oh yeah, if you don't love one another, there should be some question in your mind as to whether you really love God, whether you really know him. If you don't love others, have you tasted it? Do you know God? This is the test, not of doctrine, but of love. Do you know the sacrificial love of Jesus? If you do, you will give it. Joel Beakey said, love as much as righteousness is part of the Christian's birthmark. It's kind of like having a British accent. You go, oh, yep, I know that. I know something about you. It's, it's a sign of authenticity. You ever meet someone and you just think, man, they've got to be a Christian. No one else loves like that. That's what Jesus said would happen. In John 13, Jesus said, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Back in chapter three, John said, and we know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Without love, the legitimacy of our faith should be called into question. Well, they just aren't a very loving person. That may it never be said of us. How, how do you love your friends, your neighbors, your enemies? Does your love authenticate your confession? What's even scarier is this is not an option, which begs the obvious reply. This is impossible because I know myself and I know some of you. I have a hard time bearing in love with the people that I like the most the people I agree with on everything. But I'm to love people with vastly different preferences than me, different politics than me, with Yankees fans. And more than that, I'm to love those who sin against me, my enemies. How is this even possible? Look at the end of verse eight. God is love. There is one who passes the test of genuine love. One who is 100% loving. Love isn't just something that God does. It's what he is. Some in our more serious theological circles may be uncomfortable with this verse. God is love. But love defines all the attributes of God. None of them are incompatible with this love. God's holiness is a loving holiness. It's not cold, it's not random. 
His justice is a loving justice. Look at verse nine. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. The coming of Jesus is the concrete and irrefutable revelation of God's love. This is what you and I needed. This is what we required. You didn't need to love God. You needed God to love you because you were dead, incapable of loving him or of loving anyone else. Seeing and knowing Christ confirms the full-on love of the Father for you. Look at what he gave us. His one and only son, handing him over to sure death. Why? So that we may live. This is ground zero of God's love. Look at verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We didn't love God. We didn't. We were enemies of him, opposed to God. No one seeking him. This is why God is love, not me. I am not love. I wouldn't do something like this. Even if I had the power, I wouldn't choose to call, to justify, to sanctify, to glorify people who did not love me at ultimate cost to myself. I am not love. God is love. Only God would give his son to die for those who did not love him. This is love. This is what he does. It's because it's who he is. And so he sent his son and we hated his son. Jesus died for our sins. Still, we rejected him. He rose from the dead and defeated death. Still, we despised him. So by his mercy, he granted us the faith to believe. He changed our heart of stone to a heart of flesh so that we might believe him, so that we might follow him, so that we might love like him so that we might love him. This is unfathomable. And John is saying, here is love. This is what love looks like. We hide our faces from him. That's what we did. And he turns his heart to us. He knows the very worst parts of us, our darkest thoughts, our our deepest sins. And he loves us still. God gave his best to the worst of sinners. And now he's in us. So how will we love others? Look at verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Why love? Because God loved us. If God emptied heaven of the glorious son of God out of love for us, we must love. John Stott said, no one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. The the cross turns sinful, selfish men and women outward. 
He makes us into instruments of his love. The cross changes everything. And look at the, look at the miraculous result in verse 12. This is incredible. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This has echoes of John 1, has echoes of Colossians 1 that we read this morning. No one has seen the Father. We've seen Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Our God is unseen, but he gave us his son who was seen, who came in the flesh, who was incarnated. And in Christ, we saw the glory and the love of the Father. But how will others see this glorious love now? This is amazing, right here in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, his love is made complete in us. This is incredible. Somehow, the proof of God's existence becomes real to another person as we love them. That's what John is saying. His love is perfected, is made complete in us, through us. How is that possible? The eternal love of, of the Father is made complete in us. Is there something incomplete about the love of the Father? Is it lacking in some way? Is it unfinished? Of course not. But in his kind sovereignty, he allows us to play a part in the completion of his love. This reminds me of a John Piper sermon I heard years ago. And he pointed out in Colossians 1.24 where Paul talks about his suffering for the gospel. Um, and, he, and, and, he, and Paul says this. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. So how could Paul somehow by his suffering complete something that was lacking in the afflictions of Jesus? And Piper went on to tell the story to illustrate this uh, of an indigenous missionary uh, in India who traveled many miles uh, with no shoes, walking from village to village to share the gospel. And one afternoon after being driven out of a particular village, out of sheer exhaustion, he laid down by a tree and fell asleep. And when he woke up, he was surrounded by people from that same village that had pushed him out. And their response as he woke up was, after seeing the blisters on your feet, we knew you must be a holy man. And so we know we have to listen because you endured all this suffering to come speak to us. And so Piper goes on to explain, it wasn't that there was anything lacking or deficient in the atoning affliction of Jesus. Of course not. But these people had never seen Jesus. And even as they heard of Christ's agonizing death, they never saw it but they had seen this man's suffering and his blistered feet. And in some incredible mystery of God, the afflictions of Christ were made complete. They, were, they became real, flesh and blood to these people. Have, have you ever been the recipient of self-sacrificing love from a friend? A love you didn't deserve? Something you couldn't have earned? Maybe someone bought you something you could have never afforded? They gave you just what you needed. They showed up at your house just at the right time to bless you, to love you. The perfect love of the Father poured out for you in Christ. And now there it was. 
in your living room with hands and feet, with skin and bones in the face of your friends, you experience the love of God. And in that moment, by the kind mercy of God, the real tangible love of the Father was made complete as a fellow sinner loved you well. There is a real sense in which the love of God is not fully complete until it pours out of the lives of his children onto others. This is not to say that we will perfectly love, but this is the miracle of God that you, an imperfect vessel, will be used to make complete the perfect love of the Father, the sacrificial love of the Son, and the steadfast love of the Spirit. Every time we choose to love one another by laying down our rights, we share a little foretaste of his glorious eternal love. So who's the Lord calling you to love? Is your life marked by sacrificial love for those in our church family? Are you choosy with those whom you'll love? If the father deemed you a worthy object of his sacrifice, his pain, who are we to be sparing, to be choosy of who receives our love? John Owen said, Christian love is to be as unconfined as the beams of the sun. It doesn't select on who it, whom it will shine its beams. There's none beyond being deserving recipients of our love. When was the last time you, you picked up the phone just to encourage someone, sent a text of encouragement or a word of compassion to a friend in our church family? Maybe invited a friend who is lonely or who is discouraged or alone for a meal wrote a check to meet a need without even asking. Just as Jesus came in the flesh for you, do you, are you incarnated? Do you show up for your small group? Do you bring the best snacks? Do you sacrifice for them? Do you come intent to demonstrate the kindness that God has shown you? Because Jesus has been so patient with you. Will you sacrifice your need to rehash your favorite theological argument? or to state your charged political opinion in your small group or on social media in order that you might get beyond arguing and get down to the real pain that your friends are experiencing. As our brother John calls us, let us, let us as the family of faith, let us love one another. What about your lost friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your lost friends, as John said, have never seen God. They don't know the sacrifice of Christ. They don't know his great mercy and love, but they do see you. How are you sacrificing for them? Are you loving them as you have been loved? Could it be that they may begin to know and to understand the depths to which Jesus went to demonstrate the great love of the Father as we love them? No strings attached, no self-serving motive only to make complete the love of Christ. Redeemer, may we love as Christ has loved us. Let me pray for us. Father, would the incomparable, immeasurable, amazing love that you have poured out on us in Christ, may that love be genuine in us and, and poured out 
because we are so moved by your love for us and because you are at work living in us, may it pour out and be made complete as we love those around us. Father, would you give us your grace? Would you give us your love? Would we not withhold it? Would we give it freely? Would we lay down our time and our privileges and our rights to serve those that you have given us to serve? to love all that we come in contact with. We love you. Would you lead us in this today? And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.